Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I have a fascinating and really wide-ranging conversation with Jonathan Hanahan. Jonathan is an artist and designer whose practice explores the cultural and social ramifications of experiences and the role technology plays in shaping, mediating, and disrupting our everyday realities. He's also an associate professor in the Sam Fox School of Design and Visual Arts at Washington University in St. Louis and an artist in residence at California College of the Arts. But before all that, Jonathan actually studied architecture and worked for a time at Volume Magazine writing about architecture and thought he was headed towards a career in architecture criticism. In this conversation, Jonathan and I talk about that journey from architecture to writing to graphic design and how he kind of found that graphic design was the thing that interests him. We talk about teaching and how he encourages his students to bring a critical perspective to their work. And we also talk about digital interfaces and the importance of cultivating a critical discourse around digital design. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year to receive an exclusive monthly newsletter with additional content and episode previews. Memberships really help keep the podcast going, and I just really appreciate it. all of the support that that I've gotten so far, and I hope that you enjoy this wonderful conversation with Jonathan Hanahan. I, I usually, you know, I usually like to start these talking about people's backgrounds and kind of how they got got into design, and I think that's a, um, I I, I kind of want to talk about your background because you originally studied architecture, right? Yeah. What were your ambitions? Did you want to be a a practicing architect or kind of how did that interest even start? Um, When I was in high school, well, first, like when I was a little kid, I I was like obsessed with being an animator at Disney. Yeah. So like, you know, my grandmother bought me like this drafting table. I was like all into this into drawing i did like a camp like when my family went to disneyland i did like an animator camp which was like insane um and then all of a sudden that like that kind of faded away and in high school i started i took like a like a computer-aided drafting course um and was like super into that like drawing with the computer Mm -hmm. and so just assumed that that's what architecture was so i (laughs) went to school i was like i'm gonna be an architect so i went i had a very uh, similar experience actually yeah. And so I pl- I went to Virginia Tech and I like um I did their like summer transfer program thing where you like transfer it which was amazing this like super intensive summer thing. Oh, yeah. But then like very quickly learned that architecture like the the drawing part is like one piece of it. Like <laughs> architecture as a practice is like totally totally different. Yeah. And but totally fit. I mean I I I got hooked immediately like this whole like spatial like the spatial aspect of it of like Uh, yeah manipulating space so Um, so realizing that drawing was not all that it was that wasn't a turnoff for you it actually that all those other things made it more interesting yeah i mean the the school when i was there was still like a very like a still holding on to this like modernist okay uh tradition so at that time, they didn't even teach like, computer-aided drafting. Like, you learned it on your own if you wanted to. So I kind of had this – I was, like, 
a little bit ahead because I knew how to do that and I taught some people how to do it. But um, there was very little, I mean, it was like back to just, you know, drawing with the T-square kind of a thing, which was also super cool. Yeah. But the, the like practice or like the, the, the idea of designing spatially just like it's, you know, maybe it was part of the foundations program that, that, that transfer program that I did, which was, you know, looking at Joseph Albers and color Mm, theory and manipulating that into three dimensional space. And, you know, these sort of weird foundational program uh, assignments that just, I don't know, they stuck. Right. Yeah. Um, So it was like, I mean, architecture school was amazing, but by like, I would say my third or fourth year. So I, did, I have this like five year BARC degree that I'll never use, but, um, right. but I, I'm like really glad that I have it. Cause like I knew that I was starting to get disinterested in architecture mostly because of like its speed. It just felt like so slow. Oh yeah. Um, and so I did, I did this internship at Rex, which is a, this, it was kind of a an offshoot of OMA. It was it basically was oh. OMA New York, um, okay. and then Joshua Ramis was running OMA New York, and he, at some point, that turned into their own studio. Um, and so mm-hmm. I did an internship there, and the whole time ta- that's really was this like introduction to this hyper rational approach to design. So this right. it's kind of like you know, OMA was doing that and, and Josh took that from, from there and things like, like Bjork, Inc., the way a Bjork Ingalls works, mm-hmm. um, this like very diagrammatic strategic, but then the sort of complexity of form comes from all these rules. Right. And so I spent the whole time like drawing diagrams and got like super obsessed with diagrams. <laughs> okay. And, uh, so when I, so I kind of, after that and like my thesis and all that sort of stuff, I kind of had one foot out the door. I was like, I'm into this spatial thing, but I'm also into like the idea of pitching a representation or like the mm. narrative of why this form came to be. Um, oh, interesting. But this was also 2008. So <laughs> there was like no jobs. Right. So I took some really corporate blame job in boston um because it was kind of the only thing out there yeah and did that for a year and a half or so knowing i wasn't really like you know this is not where i wanted to be and there was and that that job was that job related to architecture at all yeah it was it was a like a very like a corporate oh a corporate okay yeah yeah okay um so i was like you know doing it was like a health it was like the it was a healthcare architecture studio so like yeah the there was very little uh, expression or experimentation. Um, but after like a year and a half, that's when I, there was like personal things that happened and is the moment to like run away. Um, and I went, that's when I went to volume. I had kind of like been reading volume for a while. Um, and I don't remember if there was a call or I just like sent them stuff and like kept sending them stuff and like pestering to the point where they were like, okay, sure you can come, you know? Right. Um, so I went and worked at volume for like two years for, no, not two years, like a year and a half. And and what did um, you do? Were you writing at volume or what, what were you doing? Yeah. There? 
So I went the mo- most of the stuff I was writing, you know, like, okay. uh, like Irma boom designs volume. Like this, yeah. that's her one non book project is Correct. that she's always done this magazine. Yeah. So it was super cool to like be in the room with her, but I was very much on the like editorial research side. So I was like mm-hmm. writing, I was like, I was doing diagrams and stuff for other pieces. Like I'd spent a lot of time working on the almanac project. Oh yeah. Um, a couple of other, uh, a couple of other issues. Um, so yeah, the, I, I, it was mostly writing based. And had you done anything like that? No. Before? Okay. So how, what was that like? I mean, you, you uh, just were like, I'm going to, I'm going to write for volume now. It was, I mean, it was really, it was amazing. I mean like that whole, that whole experience was really great because that was like my, that was my main pivot away from architecture. It's like, I want to be in this field, yeah. but I want to, I'm, I kind of liked looking at it from a different vantage point. Oh, um, and so there was this, what was amazing was like, we'd work for three months on an issue and you like, you're killing your on this thing. And then like, you get to hold it, you know, and right. then you get to give it away. That was like my, it was like this epiphany for me that like, I could work on this like I was working on bathroom details at this architecture studio. Right. But then I could actually see it realized. And then I could like watch other people interacting with it. Mm-hmm. Um which like was kind of a game changer, you know? Yeah. So I thought like I so then I thought I was gonna like go into architectural criticism, right? Yeah. Um I, I came back after like a year and a half there and I went to, I worked at a, a smaller design studio in Boston that was doing kind of everything. They were doing like urbanism in the Middle East. That's oh, how I wow. met them through the Almanac project. But then they were also doing exhibition design and graphic design. And so I was kind of leaning more on those things, but mm-hmm. I started to apply to grad school and was applying to like architectural criticism programs like the CCCP at oh, interesting. Columbia and like this, the SMARCS program at MIT and like the MDES at Harvard. I was like, Oh, I'm going to be a, I'm going to write about architecture. Yeah. And for some reason I applied, I also, cause I still had this, I was interested in like the graphic element. So I applied to RISD and I applied to, uh, the media design program at Art Center because oh, yeah. a friend, uh, Mimi Zeiger, who I was doing yeah. an exhibition with, te- taught there. Okay. And she's like, you should really look at this place. So, you know, I applied to th- those. Are like my wild cards. And so it's like like, I, like if the the architecture criticism doesn't work out, you can always just be a graphic designer. <laughs> no, no, it was just like th- they were. Um, I mean, I'm. I guess I'm curious. I'm. Uh, uh, that's kind of a joke, but I'm also, it's so, it's, it's kind of random too. Like how, what, how aware of graphic design other than, you know, kind of seeing it in relationship to architecture when you were working on the magazine, did you, what was it about graphic design that you're like, it could either be architecture criticism or this completely different thing. You know what I I mean? Yeah, it was, I mean, a part of it was like the, the crafting of the document. So mm-hmm. like when I, when I was at volume, I worked on this, uh, the one, the first issue I worked on was called the guide. Um, and this is like something that is, that is tied into like 
you know, I, I look back on it now and it has tied into everything, which is like the way that volume as a publication worked was super interesting that they would take one topic and they would poke at it from like right. 20 different spaces, right? Yeah. So this is like really deep dive into something. And so the issue was called the guide and it was more, it was this like unpacking that term a little bit. And so I did my job for that issue, I did, I wrote, Rory and I wrote one thing about like riding our bikes to these like out, uh, these playgrounds that were like tucked into Amsterdam and then like disappeared. And, yeah. um, but the, my main job was to, uh, we, we wanted to have these, like these drawings that ran through all the articles that kind of like connected. It was like a sh- quick read of the longer text. Mm. So it would like, connect words in different ways that kind of led to the the way that the story was being told or like what the story was. Right. So I was like dissecting these texts and then drawing these, these graphic representations, these sort of diagrams between language. And so that relationship between the story and how it's visually represented, like those were all, I was still really into that. You know, I was like a part of, yeah. Of, uh, of, of crafting the way that the, the visual representation took place. So it wasn't, and then when I was in, went back to Boston, I was doing a lot of like, I was working on more graphic projects than like architecture projects. So, um, I was like, I was into all of that and I was enjoying it, but I didn't know if that was like definitely the way that I want. I, I wasn't really sure. Yeah. Um, so I, when I applied, I went and visit like, I vi- you know I visited all these places and I visited RISD and I visited I, w- I flew out to Art Center because I was like this place is weird and I have to check it out and like yeah. those two visits completely like blew my mind. Oh, interesting. It was like it was like this is what I want to do, not these other things that I thought I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. I basically said no. I didn't go to grad school. Like I said no to everybody because I was like this has messed me up so much. Yeah. This has confused <laughs> me. I need another year right to figure this out. So I waited, I, I kind of stayed and worked and then oh, I wow. reapplied to a bunch of places again. Um, and you know, from a whole range from like, you know, like RISD and Yale to like to art center to the design and technology yeah. or at program at Parsons, like stuff like that. Oh, nice. And, and in the end it was like, uh, I still wanted this like really, rich typographic education like mm-hmm. i had been pretending to be an architect or a, a graphic designer and i wanted to just have yeah i wanted to to actually know what i was doing um so that's kind of what how i ended up at RISD over these other places okay. which actually you know like the work that i'm doing now probably relates to those other places more yeah but RISD was the kind of place to start that and and so what was that what was that experience like kind of you know getting to RISD and basically diving into this graphic design world now after after kind of observing it at kind of various right. distances kind of being in it and and learning all this stuff were you kind of you know kind of in love right away or or what was that like Well I somehow uh when I applied the first time, I got wait. I, I was able to um, defer. Okay. So, 
and I technically, like, you know, the way that those work, it's like you get, you go, if you have, if you have no graphic design education, you do the three year. Right. And if you have some, you do the two year. And so, um, the second time around I had, sh- I showed all this work that I was doing time that year between and kind of pitched to get myself into the two year program because I'd already, you know, I had this huge, I had spent five years in architecture school. It's like, I don't think I can survive three more years right now. <laughs> so, right. Right. Um, both financially and mentally. So, um, so I got into the two year program, which meant like I kind of dropped, I dropped into like, right. The beginning was a little, I was a little shell shocked. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean that, that kind of very quickly turned around and was amazing. was amazing. I mean like the time there was super, super important to the way that like, I think about what I'm making and like what, what I'm doing now and how that sort of that, yeah. that how I connect it back to architectural practice, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, this is something I, I, I want to talk about, about kind of RISD and, and how that connects to the work you're doing now. But right. I, I, I have another question first, because as you're talking about this, I was thinking about something that you said earlier in the conversation about getting to the end of, architecture school and kind of already knowing that that wasn't the thing for you or that wasn't going to be the thing you were going to be doing but but that you were still very grateful of that degree or that that was a degree that still had some importance or or relevance to you and and this is something that comes up on the podcast a lot when I talk to architects or people related architecture about that I, I don't know if it's kind of just the rigor of that or if it's the skills or if it's the way you're taught or the way architects are trained that there are so many people who have studied architecture and then don't do anything relating to architecture, but it's the things they're doing still have some connection to that education. Yeah. Uh, do you have any, I, I don't know if that's really a question other than I'm kind of curious how that relates to your experience or if you see, you know, especially when you were at, at RISD, were you seeing, were you pulling things from your architecture degree? Were, were you making connections kind of in the moment? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the thing, when I was a student, when an architecture student, I always, I realized I was always more interested in architects who came from somewhere else and then came into architecture. Yeah. So uh, there's something about the melding of those two things right. that just uh, the, it just had a far more interesting output. And so already being in architecture, I was like, well, maybe I can go the opposite way. Right. Um, and I would ne- like again. I would. I'm so. I have this. I have this professional degree. I could take my licensing exam and be a registered architect and I want to, but I never will. Mm-hmm. But I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that experience because I've noticed, especially now that I'm teaching is that the ability to think in multiple dimensions right. uh, is a, is a skill to be cherished. Like it's particularly in graphic design, which yeah. is, uh, yeah. which is stuck at this or can be stuck in this like flatness yeah. two-dimensional space is that uh I've, i almost took that for granted for a long time and now that i'm trying like as i speak with students or i'm talking with other people and my i just sort of go there mm-hmm. it's 
I realized like that's there's something to thinking about a thinking about a design problem sp- spatially, but also through time and sequence and all those things that don't necessarily they're they they don't they aren't necessarily there in other educational systems, I guess. Yeah, and so so when you were when you were at RISD, what were you thinking? was going to come next like were you were you thinking you were going to go work at a design studio did you want kind of a, a to be a designer at that point uh no i i mean i knew i wanted to teach like I okay. kind of, there was a there was a, a you know when i left architecture school i was kind of like i'm going to go out and do some stuff for a couple of years and figure out what i want to go back to grad school for and then I want to take that to have some sort of like to have teaching be a part of that. So oh, okay. the, those those first years when I was in Boston, I was teaching nights at this place called the Boston Architecture College, which is a uh, basically it's like for go to school full time. Yeah. It's like it's it's set up at nights. The old model used to be that all students were working in some studio mm. while they were students. Like you had to be working. So um, that was like my first into teaching, oh, mostly okay. because like I was I was bored at work, <laughs> and so like the classroom was this like place to just to to be right. free, right? You know. And what was and, how? Where did that? Wh- why? How did you know you wanted to be a teacher? Where did that interest even come from? Uh, and especially that I, that yeah. early in your career. Yeah, I mean, I had, I, I mean, Virginia Tech was amazing. Like yeah. the, the faculty there, and I had some really amazing mentors who I would just like spend time with, and who turned turned the school into more, more than just like we're going to talk about your work for a couple hours and then we're going to go away, but like created this mm-hmm. all encompassing discussion. And debate, which um, I really found found fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So when you were at RISD, you were thinking, "I'm going to teach design." Yeah, I mean that was my. I mean, I didn't know if that would happen right away, um, yeah. or, but eventually, okay. there was this kind of desire to. I think also because like I was getting, I just wanted to make my own thing. Like I didn't want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, there's, I don't know if it's that I don't, I don't like it or I'm not good at the kind of client relationship. <laughs> That's like a whole other skill. Yeah. Um, that some people are really good at. And I mean, I'm not, I, I do plenty of client stuff and like those are enjoyable, but I also, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm not, I'm not patient enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, so, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. Actually, <laughs> I've, I've been thinking that I, I've been coming to the realization that I might be that way also. <laughs> I mean, if there, there are certain ones where you have this, I mean, again, it's like you, the, this amazing relationship with the client that works really well, Yeah. but that's so few and far between that the day to day was just like, I would just rather spend my time doing exactly what I want to do. So <laughs> yeah. there's something like, I mean, again, there's something super selfish to teaching, which is like, I like the classroom experience because I feel like I learn more right. by 
having these conversations constantly, but also it gives me the time to just to do the stuff that I want to do. Like, right. It, it gives me, there's a foundation to be able to like establish a research practice that is, that is directly mine. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to come, I want to come back to teaching in a bit, but I sure. want to talk about your, your research because a lot of your work I, I'm very curious about this kind of body of work and research that you're doing around this idea of thick interfaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I have a couple questions about it, but the, the reason that I think it's relevant to this discussion is interfaces and digital design at large, you could even say, um, is, is actually a topic that doesn't come up much in these conversations that I have on the podcast. Yeah. And when it does, it's kind of around the edges. Uh, right. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious, I guess, first, can you kind of talk about what thick interfaces mean? And then we can kind of use that to, to kind of talk about this stuff a little more generally, I think, too. Yeah. So this kind of this started as my graduate thesis okay. and kind of came from really my like my introduction to the web like but i guess before that it was my assumption i i kind of looked at web design as just like a place to stick posters you know like there was this this is like just other places to stick stuff and i took this course with clint valla at RISD, okay uh who is like a you know he's an art he's an artist but it was teaching in the design program and he taught the web course and that course you know, as an, even just like as an intro course completely changed the way that I thought about the web as a space. I mean, it was like, that was the time that I realized like this is an occupiable space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, th- I mean, that class influenced me so much in that, like not only what I was making, but how I teach now and Clement, I mean, Clement, the way that he, he, uh, framed that course was super fascinating. And, and, we talk about it all the time. We're really good friends now. He was a great mentor during my thesis. But that that introduction to like thinking about digital space as an immersive environment right. uh, was kind of the starting point. And so I got into this idea. There was this back and forth between this relationship of digital and physical experiences and how they're mm. sort of segregated but also increasingly intertwined. And the deeper I got, the more, the more I was starting to kind of pick up on the, the sort of deceit that design plays <laughs> mm-hmm. in that. Yeah, it's like that the goal of design is to like hide all the junk. Mm-hmm. So like this screen is like this magical thing, right? And I hold it in my hand, and it's not connected to anything, and it has, it has infinite connective potentials. Um, but but underneath that piece of glass is like messy, clunky, right? Yeah, um, like ugly stuff, right? That's yeah. tracking me, and that's um, that's telling me what I should be looking at, and is pushing things in different ways that that has a huge influence on the way that I see the world, right? This mm-hmm. whole like this whole daily me of Right. of crafting a space based off of what I have determined I like or what the computer determines I like that then insulates me and doesn't necessarily connect me anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So th- those sort of, I was just kind of touching on all of these kind of uh, spaces of 
that the the kind of confusion of that, right? right. The role yeah. of like design is this beautiful magical problem solving thing, but also something that has like a huge role in in uh, masking kind of what we're seeing, right? Yeah. So this idea of thick interfaces was to was to kind of break that mold of of speed and thinness and lightness and magic and mm. reintroduce this idea of like slowness and clunkiness and and disruption as a way to kind of understand uh and visualize what's happening kind of under the screen right right so i was really interested in uh temporarily temporarily disrupting super familiar experiences okay. as a way to say like you know because if we're in this space where now we take the speed of the internet and we take the actions, the subconscious actions that we do for granted, right? Like mm -hmm. when I click a button, it's going to take me to this thing. Or mm -hmm. if this doesn't load right away, something is broken. And so I started to kind of play with those subconscious uh, experiences and, and intentionally break stuff that feels really familiar as a way to like I see. pause for a moment. Um, so yeah, the, they kind of turned into these mixtures of, uh, yeah, di all kinds of different outcomes, but all of which followed this kind of familiar, broken, and returned to the familiar as this this opportunity to kind of reflect on that. That is, this is so interesting to me because I a couple of years ago I taught a an interface class. Uh, it was kind of a, a mobile interface user experience type class is, is kind of what it was centered around. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, my two main goals for the class were to, to show the students or to get the students to think about basically two main things. And one is that um, interfaces are not these kind of neutral uh connection devices that put us mm -hmm. you know that put two things together that there is some sort of um kind of bias that's happening there and mm -hmm. that exactly what you're saying the interface can kind of uh hide or obscure uh a lot of other things through a, a beautiful interface um mm -hmm. i'm speaking about you know digital interfaces primarily right. um but the second is that you could make the argument uh, if you take a broad definition of the word interface as as a uh, thing that puts two different <laughs> one thing that puts two different things into connection with each other or into communication right. with each other, that right. all graphic design is kind of interface design. Oh yeah, totally. And so so kind of what I my kind of teaching philosophy for that class was we're focusing on on mobile design, mobile. Uh, interfaces, mobile user experience, but the things that you're thinking about when when we're working in this class kind of apply to everything, all right. of your other classes. Uh, and so I'm kind of I'm I'm curious under the context that this podcast is kind of about design criticism and specifically how we talk about design or how we critique design. I'm I'm curious how you think this idea of interfaces or even specifically thick interfaces um, could be a way to kind of talk about the kind of issues uh, facing designers today. Yeah. So like I'm, 
I've kind of fallen into this track of like I'm teaching or I'm teaching a lot of like interactive courses. Okay. It's all like interaction design specific and I, I'm still teaching foundational courses mm, like okay. you know type and things like that. But the I think the thing that similarly the thing I always return to is that all of this stuff is interactive. Right. Like it's not inter interaction is not does, is not equal digital right it does not necessarily even equal technology mm -hmm. it just equals that there is a there is a give and take happening right and the question of how much what you are making is uh is giving and taking and what the relationship and the experience of that thing is is for me more interesting than just what it looks like right. but, but um but I think it play, it's about kind of what it plays, what its role as a tool is. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of like I, I use this uh, a lot, which is like the um, like Dun and Rabbi's speculative everything book yeah. is like oh, yeah. something that was hugely influential on me. I think it's really interesting. But they there's a point where they talk about this idea of um, the map versus the versus the compass. Oh yeah, where the map is like a design solution, right? It's like, that's like what, what, um, like capital G graphic design. Right. It's, is like, I'm going to, I'm going to solve your problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even going to tell you, like, I'm not even going to ask you how you want that problem to be solved. I'm just going to solve it. So like, if you think like a turn, like GPS map, like Google maps, it's like, okay, the problem is efficiency. I'm going to make, I'm going to get you from point A to point B as fast as humanly possible. Um, that's their, their kind of mapped, uh, mm -hmm. definition. Whereas the compass is like this thing that I could, uh, I could yeah. get, it would do the same thing, but it's, it forces me, it's a tool to force me to look at the, the world around me. Right. If, right. Like, I am, uh, if I'm just following turn here, turn here, turn here, I'm not paying attention to the environment that I'm in versus with the compass. Like maybe I see something that is not technically the right direction, but looks super interesting. So mm -hmm. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. And like, it takes me longer to get there, but eventually I do. And essentially the experience becomes more important than the destination. Uh, right. So I think that that that's been yeah. framing the role that graphic design plays as this tool to not, to not tell me something, but to give me the ability as an audience, give, give your audience the ability to form their own conclusions, mm -hmm. right? To kind yeah, of I love that. To inform, but, uh, but not dictate. Right. Um, and I think that's very much apparent in like, uh, you know, digital interface design, but it totally plays into artifacts to posters to book. I mean, all this sort of stuff has all of those, uh, yeah, those interactive elements in them. I, I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious how you. This is this is such a uh, overly simplistic question, but I'm curious how you approach what you just said uh, in the classroom, and how because yeah. and I'm asking this purely selfishly because I I found. Uh, and this is a bit of a blanket statement, but that there are there are always a group of students that are that 
just want to make stuff that looks cool um, yeah. or they just want to learn how to use the software to make stuff that looks cool. Yeah. Um, and I especially saw it when I taught the interface class where there was a group of students that basically just wanted to make the interfaces look like all the good stuff on Dribble, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and getting them, you know, it, it, I, it was a challenge for me to get them to think about interfaces and design in general as more than that. Uh, right. How do you think about that, or how do you kind of approach that, especially in these these interactive classes, or when you're kind of talking about these ideas? Yeah, it. I will. I will admit that it took a while. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like I'm just getting it, okay. and I think that's both because of trial and error, yeah. but also because I think now, after a couple of years, I finally I've established a rapport with the students that they know. They know what they're getting into when they walk into my class, right. which is uh, which is not a tutorial based setup, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, a, I mean, I think this this could be the entire in the entirety of the rest of our conversation because <laughs> this is something I've been thinking about a ton. Is All like, right, go for it. First, um, I think it's a huge. I don't know how the curriculum is set up where at where you're teaching right right now, but. I think the the general curriculum of undergraduate graphic design is that you spend a year of foundations. Yeah. You kind of move into graphic design foundations, which is like type and word and image. These like, mm -hmm. I'm yeah. going to learn how to use the creative suite, right? right. And I'm going to get really good at pushing stuff around the page. Yeah. Um, and then like in the third year is like, okay, now we're going to teach you web design mm -hmm. and oh, right. it's a huge roadblock because either because it's like i think it's both because it's you know you're now learning this whole new way of making which is not which is a like a version system right i like write some rules right. yeah. i execute it i see what happens i can't that kind of WYSIWYG thing isn't in play and it gets really i think that's a huge frustration for students that kind of struggle is like they know how to make these beautiful things but they can't translate it perfectly right. to this other space yeah um so there's you know there's some students that just get it and they kind of go through it and they're like oh yeah i'm gonna be like a developer mm -hmm. like yeah. I'm, i've got i just know how to do this stuff and then there's the others who think oh well i can't make stuff look as nice in the web as i can on uh on, in print. So I'm just, I can't design for the, I can't be an interaction designer. Right. Um, which I think is ter That's terrible. Yeah. So for, for I, one, I think that like the introduction to kind of procedural systems has to be, is directly related to type word and image yeah. and interaction. Like they have to be together because yeah. they are all foundational, uh, practices and so uh, I've, I've been kind of working on some stuff which is like trying to get that stuff earlier in the curriculum and the one way that i've been really interested in found works um which is in when i'm teaching type or when i'm teaching word and image or that i mean everyone has different names for those courses but like right you know yeah. the beginning of of type and image relationships um i've started setting up this system here at WashU where like at least one of the projects in those courses is procedural in nature. 
Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like in in Word and Image, we do this project called Rules and Results, where it's rather than they rather than designing a poster, they write a set of rules for somebody else to make the poster. Right? Oh, interesting! I love that. So that introduces like the foundation of what designing with code is without the hindrance of code. That's right? so interesting. And it, and it's, it, 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 it brings up all these questions of how open and how you, you as the designer cannot control the output, but you can control how that output is being generated. So mm-hmm. you make the decision of how open or how closed do I want this thing to be? Like, do I want to write really specific rules that make sure that every poster, no matter who makes it, looks identical yeah. or do i want to do i want to open those up a little bit that gives some freedom that the kind of you know for randomness or for that that is based off of metrics from that person or you know things like that right mm-hmm. and yeah. so it's it's kind of an introduction to the the process without the the scariness of trying to write it in this other language yeah that's such a great idea i love that i'm gonna i'm probably gonna try to borrow that to just do it yeah (laughs) just to to tell you i'm taking that i love that idea (laughs) yeah so uh it's the and the idea is like then we when they get because we still teach these classes later when they get there they've already they've already Mm -hmm. at least broken uh broken this mentality that like you know, I think in those in we teach graphic designers to like make perfect things. Like they own they right. own every aspect of the book, right? Yeah. Like I'm gonna make a book, I'm gonna design every single page, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna bind it myself, everything will be perfect. It is this perfect concrete object. Whereas when you're designing for like for the web or for like digital things, is that you're not you can't you have to be willing to have the output not be the exact thing. Mm-hmm. that you had planned for. And then that becomes like this interesting space where like, how can I craft a malleable entity that may produce results? Like how can that be exciting to right. have results that I was not expecting? Um, so once that sort of becomes an asset and not a hindrance, I think it opens up all these like kind of interesting spaces for making stuff. You know, it's it, this. It's it relates to something else that I kind of. This might be a little bit off topic, or or a little huh. bit of a, a turn from what we were talking about. But something that I really liked about your work, especially when you're talking about your thick interfaces project, but I think it also relates to to this kind of student work, or even kind of how you're thinking about teaching students, is. I get the sense when I look at your work and I, you know, have read read the things that you you've written and kind of hear you talk about this is that the relationship between kind of theory and practice or between kind of theory and making artifacts are very connected for you, yeah. uh, and that that these things that you're thinking about through your research or in the classroom, the result is still making things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's something that's always, always interesting to me. And again, I'm, I'm connecting this back to a class that I'm teaching right now. And so it might be why this was 
uh, resonating with me, but I'm teaching a class on design research and specifically mm. this idea of kind of uh, researching through design, uh, reading a lot of texts, you know, kind of consuming a lot of things. And then instead of writing a paper, you have to make kind of artifacts that respond to that, uh, respond to the things right, that you've right. been reading. And so I guess I, I, I have a couple questions around that. Um, sure. but to kind of tie it directly to what we were just talking about, I'm kind of curious about how you, both how you think about that in your own work is all of your, your research and these projects that you're working on, do you still consider them, are they research projects or are they design projects? And does that boundary even matter? And then does any of that find its way into the classroom or, or, you know, teaching students to, uh, read and research and kind of respond to that through their projects or through what they're making. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know okay, what I mean? Wait. That was kind of a big, yeah. I kind of went all over the place there for a bit. So th to start with like my, my work, yeah. Um, I kind of had this like back and forth between like kind of an identity complex of like what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm, teaching in the in what we what is the visual communications program here i'm like my background is in design but i'm like making things that aren't designed like <laughs> i'm making 3d printed objects and like mm. uh stuff like that and so i was like is this is this art is this design is this research and i think in the end I think to me they're all like they are works of design. It's okay, like uh, yeah. I'm I really I'm really interested in like taking of this very kind of narrow procedural based design pedagogy and applying it to mediums that are maybe not necessarily always associated with design. So mm -hmm. again, it like comes back to some of these architectural things. Like I want to make. Uh, like the, the stuff that I'm doing recently is like, I want to make websites that I can physically stand inside of. Oh, like interesting. That they are, sure. there is a digital, ex, a, a digital experience in them, but also like, what if, like, what would it be like to stand inside of this thing? So, um, that's kind of come, you know, I've, that kind of started from these tools that I was finding and trying to find different ways to apply them. Mm -hmm. um, and then that has also very much kind of come into the classroom as well. So like, um, and this, this, I think this comes back to the kind of core structure. I, I feel like a lot of us, uh, RISD people who are now teaching have this m model. Cause I, I went out to CCA as their like designer in residence this fall. Oh yeah. And, Chris Hamamoto and John Sueda oh, yeah. and a couple other people who were from RISD teaching there all were doing the same thing, which is like with everything um, in any course, it doesn't matter what it is. We have every student does a, an artist designer presentation. So, mm. cause I, I'm still sort of shocked at an undergraduate level, how little, <laughs> like they all know stuff. Like yeah. they all look at Behance and stuff. <laughs> right. they, could, they couldn't list off, who made that or like who are important names to know, you yeah, know, there's like yeah. the, the understanding of who the players are, uh, 
and, and who is making and saying the, the things that are pushing the practice is very limited. So they all do these artist presentations, which is just like, here's a list, pick somebody, learn about them, present it to the group and expose the whole group to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also is that there's this kind of model of like always, always reading stuff. So yeah, um, like a weekly like reading and then, uh, everybody submits questions and that kind of generates the, the dialogue. But in the, in the sort of, uh, the idea of like how it's for me, like in these kind of interactive courses is like, I'm, I want one. I think it's, I think it's naive for teachers and designers to think like we need to teach them to be experts in these tools. Right. Right. Because, right it's going to be different the second they leave. <laughs> yeah. And in all honesty, like some of them may never touch it again. Like they may, they, they may never write a line of code code in their life. They'll always, if they're working in a studio, have somebody to do that, who is a, an expert in that, do that for them. Right. And right. Or, or it I, just becomes by the time they graduate, the technology is, is just completely obsolete. Right. So the, the question is not to necessarily learn the current tools, but to learn how to navigate yeah, any, yeah. like how to understand, how to, um, to not be fluent, but be conversive in like lots of things. Mm-hmm. So, which I think is like the designer's mantra anyway. It's like you hold on to this, like this a little bit of, of like professional naivety. Like I know enough to like know what it can do, but I don't know enough to, to like prevent me from asking stupid questions, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's like the way that's kind of how I've treated all of these courses is like, it's less an act of writing anything from scratch and more of like creatively hacking through anything you find. Yeah. I love that. Um, so, and then, and then so I'm kind of roundabouting back to this kind of, no, uh, this is this is so interesting. The, <laughs> um, I've also been like really interested in teaching or talking about like the the physical implications of what the internet are in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so we've so in a mixture of like rather than reading things about web design and like the you know theory of web design, we've been reading about like like reading uh, Neil Stevenson's Mother Earth Motherboard, right? Like learning oh, yeah. about like transatlantic cables. <laughs> right. Um, oh, interesting. Particularly for a, a student. I mean, I'm not old, but like <laughs> I, I lived, I, I understood like when everything had to be plugged in. Right. Right. Like, right. like my first computer was like, I had a dial up computer. Yeah. And whereas. Yeah. But I was like right on the edge of that, right? I think in Zure as well. Yeah. So yeah. I'm still shell shocked when I'm like, you guys understand that like no matter what, like everything you put on the computer lives in some physical thing somewhere. Right. right? It, it it always like it's always plugged into something. And so we've been doing it's been super interesting. We've been doing these things where like we we're going to tour this like huge data center that's right downtown and sit downtown st louis like all these massive yeah buildings that has no people in it and just has like servers yeah um and so that that debate back and forth of like 
what you make is not just what it looks like on the surface, right? There is there is yeah. depth to it. A lot of that is like to kind of slow yeah. to slow them down and be like just to contemplate like what what the implications of what they make are mm-hmm. out there in the real world. Like just the and from an ethical perspective, but also like all the other things, like, you know, what does it mean when you force when you put a bunch of images on a website that are like, you know, 10 megabytes a piece, right? Like what are you right. asking of your audience to like have to load all of this stuff up? And yeah. how does like, is that intentional or is that just like laziness? Right. And mm-hmm. getting them to understand what it means, like file size means beyond just like uh, how big it is on my hard drive, but like that because you're passing that back and forth through physical spaces and through wires, like, those have implications like time is really essential in that. Right. Mm-hmm. And something we, I think we take for, we as makers and consumers take for granted. I'm curious how I was, I was, you know, we started kind of touching on this already. I was kind of curious how, how the architecture background might be filtering into the work that you're doing. And I, I think it's interesting how there are these little kind of connections that are happening throughout all of your work. But I'm also curious if, uh, writing fits into your practice other than when you're at volume have has anything that you've kind of taken from that or or writing in general uh, how's that fit into the work you're doing now I'm I'm I used to think I was a good I was good at writing <laughs> okay. um, and I'm learning more and more that I'm not oh, interesting. like I'm, yeah. I, I'm good at I'm good at giving lectures like I'm, okay. I'm good at talking uh, talking through this stuff, but I'm, I, I struggle to connect it to, um, like just language. Yeah. Um, and so that's frustrating at times, but I think it's also, uh, pushed me to kind of present this stuff in different ways. And so, mm. um, like I remember, I remember seeing, I, this is, long ago another podcast which was michael rock presenting to uh at the harvard gsd it was a audio podcast okay uh with, so you couldn't see anything you can only hear him and at yeah. the beginning he said i have like 200 slides <laughs> that i have to get through and i i can still i haven't listened to that maybe 10 years but i can still remember you could hear him the cadence of him hitting the mm-hmm. keyboard to oh. move the slides as he talked, like in this amazing kind of musical yeah. notation that like, I didn't even need to see the slides. I could just listen to him and yeah. follow that rhythm. And so I, the, I still, I, I, I do, I have been writing, like I've written some things for volume since leaving. I've, I'm sort of always packaging this stuff up and, and presenting at conferences and stuff, but it's again, maybe it's like the speed thing. It's like the slowness of reading it as a big document Mm -hmm. is far less interesting for me, but it may be interesting for anybody who's reading it too, than the, the ability to craft it in time and space, like through, through a presentation of it. So, you know, I, I, maybe, maybe it's not necessarily, distinguishing between like writing as like writing is on paper or like writing as words right and 
they're they're all sort of the same thing. It's just kind of the the tempo and the the scale that they're presented in. Yeah, I, I you know I I totally am feeling that also in that I I've noticed that I've been writing, you know, like tr- like traditional writing pencil on paper, you know, keyboard keys in a text editor a lot less since I started the podcast and then since I started teaching because those mm-hmm. became the outlet, the main outlets for me to yeah. kind of articulate these ideas in a way that writing used to. Um, mm-hmm. And I've kind of struggled with whether that's okay just as in my own practice. And I, I would, I still miss that act of putting keys in a, putting letters in a text editor or, or pen to paper. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm also like, oh, but it's, it has these kind of other interesting ways that are, you know, these ideas are coming out in other ways. So maybe that's okay. Yeah. Like when I'm writing, like almost anytime I start to write, it starts in like my to-do list. Yeah. Like I'll write chunks in a to-do list mm. and it's, if I'm writing paragraph, I mean, I'm writing paragraphs, but I'm breaking them up in a way that, it's almost like like keynote slides, like yeah. they're compartmentalized into these fragments that that can then be strung together later. Um, but there's something about the kind of the the presentation mechanism of of the of those chunks that becomes more compelling yeah. for me, I guess. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I always love hearing kind of how people start writing and a to, in a to do list is a new one. Um, I'm this is a question that I ask everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious what are the topics or issues or subjects that, that you think kind of designers should be talking about today or the kind of big issues uh, around the industry, around practice, um, kind of considering that this is a, a podcast of design criticism? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what are those subjects now that we should be talking about, writing about, thinking about? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's starting um, and I, but I, I think the the ethics of what we do is infinitely more important now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I've I've been kind of I've I've been really trying to frame a practice that is both designing but also very critical of the practice of design, like and mm-hmm. and using the things that I'm making to kind of reflect back on those things. Um, yeah. So this whole this whole investigation into like quote unquote fake news yeah. through um, through kind of three dimensional representations is to uh, is to just acknowledge that like this is totally a design created problem, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and and not not maliciously like it's just that it's this huge system. Like yeah. you, you have these designers at Facebook who are like, okay, we just want to make sure that everything that comes in here looks good. Right. But what that does is sort of strips away the context. And so um, it kind of snowballs into these massive problems. So the, I think that that the sort of the ethical, I think it's super fascinating, like where design sits right now is like we, we hold this incredible key is like we, we are, we were talking earlier about like mm-hmm. the interface as this threshold. Right. Yeah. And, and, in history, we've always been taught like the designer is invisible, right? Like the crystal goblet <laughs> right, garbage, right, right, which, which is 
I, which is, I think is garbage, yeah, right? Like yeah, I think yeah, that there is, <laughs> there you have, as the designer plays a very active role in that. And the question is, what is that role in the service of selling something? Or is it in empowering an audience? Mm-hmm. Or is it like, where does it fit in there? And so like, um, like I always use the metaphor of like the old, like the browser is not a window. It's like a, it's like a, like a sieve, right? Like oh, as something passes yeah. through it, it like changes, changes state. It's still the same thing, but it like, uh, it's, it's not a solid stream of water. It's a mist of water. Right. And that, yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's, I think the question that kind of comes into play. I, I also think that like, we all, as a practice, we're driven, like we are super tied to technology, right? Like any mm-hmm. new technology we are a part of. So it also propagates this decision, this idea, like, well, we, we have this technology, we have to use it for something. Uh, and I think that puts all the, the, enters all these weird spaces of like uh of confusion right like there's no critical practice of like well why why do i want augmented reality like (laughs) i still can't find one good solution that is that is that would benefit me right it's like sure i could do these things but the the disconnect between uh why and what is still it's just like a it's cliche like it's just a toy right yeah. so i think teaching uh students and designers it's like current designers like to ask to slow down and ask that question of like what what is this like how does this fit into a productive how is this a productive tool mm-hmm. like an empowering tool my last question is i'm curious we we you've mentioned some people kind of throughout the conversation but i'm yeah. i'm curious who are the the writers or what are the books that have really shaped uh the way you think about all of this stuff or or that have been influential in your own research and practice there's a uh uh, uh ranciere wrote a book called the ignorant schoolmaster oh yeah schoolmaster yeah um who uh i interviewed this artist named kurt cloninger for my graduate thesis um this we didn't even touch on this but like he wrote this amazing i've I've been really i was really fascinated with james bridal's work and like the new aesthetic yeah and this like a lot of the things that i'm looking at now are very much oh yeah i totally see that yeah um and so Kirk Cloninger wrote this amazing article uh, kind of critically looking at the new aesthetic as a thing. So he, I interviewed him and he was like, this is how, this is how you have to teach. This is how I teach. So like the, the, the ignorant schoolmaster is like my Bible for like how mm-hmm. to teach stuff, which yeah. is essentially like, you don't have to, you don't have to be an expert in it to teach it. It's about sort of like throwing your, throwing the students in a pit you know that they can get out of, but they don't know that they can get out of it. And so they've got to figure out how to get out of it. Right. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Um, I love that. So that, that's, that is a book is always amazing. Um, You know, we talked a lot like Dunn and Rabbi. Mm -hmm. We talked about, I, I also always teach or I every year I reread 
Kenneth Goldsmith's Uncreative Writing. Oh, um, I, I need to read that. I haven't read yeah. that yet. I've heard so many good things about that. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, I mean, you can, I read it, I teach a class um, called, like, proceed it's like relational conditional and process oriented design but we teach we, re, we read that whole book and you can you can interchange writing with designing um and it totally makes sense oh, um, interesting um but that book i think in terms of this idea of not making anything new but just recontextualizing existing information yeah um is i think is really fascinating so Thank you so much uh, for doing this. This was such a fun and interesting conversation for me. And I feel like it actually very selfishly relates to a lot of things I've been thinking about, both in my kind of teaching work and in my, my own practice. And I'm just really glad that we, uh, we got to do this. And, and thanks for, for being on the show. Yeah, me too. Thanks. This episode was recorded on March 15th, 2018. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.